0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with Dr. Parker Houston with Nationwide Children's Hospital about their On Our Sleeves program. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend looks at efforts to reform police policies, the creation of the Civilian Review Board in Columbus, and features a discussion with Northeast Ohio Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan, who's running for the U.S. Senate seat opening up next year when Republican Rob Portman's term ends. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with Matt McLaren, director of Ohio Find It Here, about tourism returning to the Buckeye State. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Dr. Parker Houston. He's a clinical psychologist with Nationwide Children's Hospital He's also the clinical director of the hospital's On Our Sleeves program. How are you? I'm well. How are you this morning, Dave? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, The On Our Sleeves program, I think most folks in the area have heard of it. It started in, uh, I believe, 2018. Can you tell us what it is?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we started it in um, October of 2018 as a way to try and Break down the stigmas related to children's mental health and conversations about mental health in general. And it's really grown in the past two and a half years or so into not only breaking stigmas and starting conversations, but really providing a lot of evidence informed resources and activities for people to do to try and improve the mental health and well being of kids across the country.
0: And with this pandemic going on now, this was uh, a proactive movement that just couldn't have come at a better time, it seems like.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's one of those things where we feel like the the stars aligned and um, we've gotten a lot of, of increase in need for the services we're providing, but this really predates anything related to COVID. It just so happens that we feel like we're in a, a really good position to try and help out parents, families, kids, teachers. Um, with a lot of needed resources right now with all the stress we've all been under.
0: And Nationwide Children's Hospital has really been making a name for itself over the years as a, kind of a research firm as well, and this goes hand-in-hand hand with that pretty well, I would think.
1: Yeah, it does, and, you know, really the way that I think of it is there's this really important sort of cyclical way that things are happening at Nationwide in Behavioral Health right now, which is that um, you know the the research arm of the hospital informs a lot of what we do, both in prevention but also intervention, and and then likewise we're trying to work along with our colleagues who do a lot of the intervention for kids who are having mental health concerns, um, but they're also letting us know. You know, here are things we wish that you could teach kids in the community, or here are things that we think could really work to prevent a specific type of mental health concern. And so there's this really fascinating and wonderful way that we're all working together to better the mental health of not only kids here in central Ohio, but when it comes to prevention, we're really focused on every community across the country. And what we really believe here at Nationwide Children's and through on our sleeves is that A lot of this information should be much more easily accessible than it is. And the knowledge that we have should be free for everybody. So we're trying to get it out there in usable and digestible pieces and with activities associated so that people can implement it in their own life and in their own family and community. Um, And we're just using a lot of different mechanisms and relationships with other organizations and companies to try and achieve that.
0: And we're going to talk in a moment about the Million Classroom Project, which uh, is that nationwide effort you were talking about. Before we do that, though, Doctor, I did want to ask you about the state of kids today because, you know, this kind of started out with kids being pulled out of the classroom, and then the the grand finale of the pandemic year was graduations that were held virtually. And I just can't imagine for older kids— a bigger letdown than that, after spending twelve years in school and having the big finish, some kind of a watered down, almost seemingly unappreciated event like that it, it's just got to be an unbelievable blow, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what they've been going through.
1: yeah, I would say that that is one of a series or a string of changes that people have had to try and adapt to over the past year, and um you know. Kids, maybe more than others in some regard, have had to adapt to different ways of attending school and different expectations. And um, there's a lot of those sort of once in a lifetime opportunities that kids tend to have. And you grow up expecting them. You grow up to expect prom or your senior year of basketball or soccer to be a certain way, or, you know, Graduation, of course, is one. College visits is another when you get to be that age. And I've heard many, many stories of kids and parents having to readjust their expectations and try and make it feel special, try and find ways to create um, a sense of wonder or a sense of um, success and celebration when the, the thing that they might have been looking forward to for a period of years is not happening the way that they thought it would. And, you know, part of what I think goes into some of the skills that we're trying to teach people these days, which is um, there are ways to adjust and try to um, be creative about celebrating, you know, the good things in life, looking for reasons to be grateful, looking for reasons to be um, to have some positive emotions even in a time of difficulty and then to be able to cope with those really difficult negative emotions too when they come, which they do for all of us. And so this year has really been fascinating because under normal circumstances, there's a small percentage of the population who maybe on any given day is having a rough day or having to deal with a big change, but uh, over the past, let's say, 12 months, just to make it a round number... It's been pretty much everybody in pretty much every city across the United States and across the world, and so there are so many people seeking guidance and seeking knowledge about how to try and make it through this time, how to help their kids make it through this time um, that we've we've had plenty to talk about over the past year.
0: I guess one positive aspect for kids maybe would be that as you know, society kind of shut down and became a virtual world, they may be uh, better able to handle that transition than a lot of adults because they've grown up with it.
1: Yeah, I've heard so many fascinating stories and wonderful stories about kids figuring out how to use technology to achieve a desired goal, whether it's academic or social. Um, You know, I've heard stories of Kids who were in a band together, all recording their parts separately on an iPhone, and then sending it to each other, and having someone put them together into a piece of music. Um, I've heard kids teaching their parents a lot about the technology related to, you know, posting a meeting for work or being able to connect with family for a holiday or things like that. And so, there's you never want to put the spin on it that something like this is positive, but you can usually take positives away from even really challenging situations. And I would also say that kids and adults over the past year have been forced to learn to be a bit more flexible as as a group. And, you know, for most of them, this will be one of the most difficult years of their lifetimes. And so you can look back on it and say, if I could make it through that, I could make it through another difficulty that they might face in the future so there's there's usually ways to sort of look and see how am I going to grow from this situation rather than let it break me down or let it you know stop me in my tracks and that's part of when people hear the term resilience that's really what resilience means is the ability to to bounce back in some form after a tragedy or a difficulty or or a learning experience and to to grow from it and to learn things from it.
0: Talking with Dr. Parker Houston, clinical psychologist with Nationwide Children's Hospital and the clinical director of the On Our Sleeves program, you mentioned the national outreach, and you've got something called the Million Classroom Project. What is that?
1: Well, we're really, really excited about the Million Classrooms Project this year. It's our way of trying to put into action everything we've been talking about and all the groups of people that we've been partnering with over the past two years. Um, So basically what we realized is that there's about four million elementary and middle school classrooms in the United States. And we've been wanting to focus on educators more explicitly for a while now, given how much difficulty they've faced this year as well. And so um, we came up with the idea that What we're gonna do between now and the end of 2021 is we're gonna get free on our sleeves resources into at least 1 million of those classrooms by the end of the year. And so we're using a lot of different curricula that we have but um, we're basically leveraging all of our relationships across the country to try to promote awareness and encourage access to our free library of classroom kits and student activities. So we have partnerships with um, a group called Young Minds Inspired who create teacher curricula for us, and they're education experts. So they kind of translate the information that we have on the clinical side into a teacher user guide as well as student activity sheets. And then probably my favorite part of what they do is they have a parent letter that gets sent home as well. And so the parent letter really helps take things from the classroom and generalize it to home. And for many of the kids, they take that letter home and they really want to talk about this with their parents. Guess what I learned today? And that's the best thing that we can think is that we're bridging that gap where, kids are taking it into the home and they're starting those conversations and the parents can help continue them. And we're also going to have those parent letters translated into Spanish because that's one big challenge for a lot of families across the country is being able to have that in a a language that is um, easy for them to understand and and use. Um, And so, you know, teachers can get involved really easily. They just go to our website onoursleeves.org slash million And they can download things right from there. It's all free. We can you can decide you know what age you might work with and what type of information you'd like to use in your classroom. But even parents and other citizens can be involved. They can go to that same website on slash 1000000 You can nominate a teacher or a school to receive. A classroom kit, and we'll actually mail them something to the school that has lots of resources in there, and um, they can photocopy it, use it however they want, and we've gotten so much positive feedback from it already, and it's only been a few days since we have launched the program.
0: This is great because teachers are kind of on the front line anyway at recognizing things like abuse in the home, or or they may be the person that a child reaches out to first, and and a good teacher, as classrooms return, would naturally be concerned about not necessarily abuse and things like that, but just mental health in general, depression, anxiety, those types of things that may have developed in kids.
1: Every teacher that I've talked to so far, which is many, many in the past year, every one of them has said, I'm worried about the mental health of the kids that I teach, and what can I do to help them? It's been one of the most common questions from teachers that we've received, and while I can answer everyone individually, this is our way of helping every teacher who might be thinking it but not have a place to turn to get that information uh, someplace to go. It's free, it's informed by scientific evidence, and it's also coming from a reliable resource at Nationwide Children's Hospital, um, that's who's backing the development of this curriculum, and trying to do is as kids especially the end of the school year trying to sort of tie a bow on what's been a really difficult year but then certainly leading into the fall as teachers are thinking about what's my curricula going to look like next year it it changed a lot this year and now as we're returning to a more stable school year next year we all hope what's my curriculum going to look like might I integrate more of this into the way that I teach my kids and if so who can give me some resources to do that because, you know, we, we can't expect teachers to be experts in absolutely everything, even though they seem like it a lot of the time. Um, and so, yeah, we're we're just really excited to be able to help teachers out in any way and to help them get this information to kids. And our strong feeling is that the earlier we start with these skills and these discussions, the better it's going to be long-term for kids because – they can learn these skills early in life and make them habits and make them routines that will last into adulthood. So even a preschool teacher can use this stuff, and it's really helpful for kids.
0: Talking with Dr. Parker Houston, Nationwide Children's Hospital, the clinical director of the On Our Sleeves program. One of the drivers of this On Our Sleeves program was to deal with stigma of mental health in kids. Can you talk for a moment about what that stigma is and and how it is perhaps different from uh, from adults with mental illness. Well, there's
1: some important distinctions when it comes to stigma related to children's mental health. The biggest one is is shame for parents. Um, historically, unfortunately, there were technical diagnoses of mental health conditions that were supposedly caused by poor parenting, and that was a largely held society-held belief for many, many years that children who suffered from a mental health condition, the first place they looked was, well, what are their parents doing to cause this? Right. And although we have much more information now and we realize that that is not very often the case, um, of course, there are difficult circumstances in home lives that many kids come from, but in general... um, Poor parenting is not the cause of mental health concerns. And so there remains this stigma from parents that if I seek help for my child, it means that in some way I'm not living up to my responsibility as a parent. And that is, shame is one of the biggest deterring factors from someone acting on a a suspicion or a concern uh, that there is. And so what we have to do is we have to try and, do two things. First of all, reducing stigma is related to giving people information. And so we try and educate people about the, the origins of mental health concerns and things to look for and ways to seek help from people who are uh, experts in that area and can really help to improve things. But there's also giving parents something positive to do, because many parents just, they want to be able to do to teach their kids how to develop good mental health habits. And so we feel like by offering people these free resources, parents can really feel like they're involved in improving the mental health of their children so that if a mental health concern does come up, they can feel confident seeking guidance that, you know, I've done what I can and I've worked with them and I've tried to teach them and now I need someone to to help us out. To say that there's just the general stigma related to mental health that mental health is somehow a sense of weakness or that it should be handled in the family even for adults many times we hear that that well this should just be handled in the family we don't need anybody else to to help us with this um, and that's just really not the case uh, that there's lots of great treatment options out there there's many wonderful mental health providers who just want to provide guidance and, and help families work through the challenges that they have. So those are the messages that we're trying to send over and over again as is-
0: a moment or so to go here with Dr. Parker Houston with Nationwide Children's Hospital you know I was wondering couples when there's one or both members of the couple who tend to clam up when there's a problem between the two and nobody talks about it and then finally when the subject is finally broached as soon as the conversation begins the healing begins and you can both sides often will think we should have just talked about this earlier it's so easy to talk about it and get it out of the way and I'm wondering if the discussion of mental illness, either people seeking help and once they start to get that help, how quickly it can improve situations or just the communication within a family, just to, to even just begin to talk about it helps.
1: Well, as a, as a provider myself, one of the most common things that I hear from a, a parent of a new patient that I'm seeing for the first time is, I need you to fix my mistakes. You know, they've finally gotten themselves there into the office. They've finally made it in, and that's usually what they say, and I I wish that that was a rarity, but it's not. Uh, And so when I provide a different direction and when I talk about it in a different way, the relief that I see on many of their faces just from knowing that they're not here to be corrected or told what they've done wrong and how they need to fix themselves because they've... You know, messed up something with their parenting, that often provides a huge sense of relief just knowing that there are solutions to some of these problems that they are part of that solution and usually a big part of that solution. And that can give them a sense of empowerment and a sense of self-efficacy and self-determination that they weren't feeling before. And so I totally agree with you that sometimes it's just opening that door and having someone to to bounce these concerns off of and to get some good information back. Uh, And that can make all the difference and turn things in a different direction.
0: Boy, what a powerful thing that is to tell somebody i 'm not here to blame you, i 'm here to help you have the tools to make this better yeah
1: we're we're a team you know there's no no good treatment happens in isolation with a psychologist, and that's a that's a historically held belief that the psychologist was the main agent of change, and that's just not really true, especially for kids. The psychologist helps with change and helps structure the change, but the real change happens in their day to day lives and Who's more important in a child's day-to-day life than their caregivers and their teachers? Those are two of the most important groups for the vast majority of children out there, and so those are the groups that we're reaching out to most often to give them as much information and a sense of you know feeling like they know what they're, what they're doing, know what they need to do, and feel more confident, and that's really important.
0: Dr. Parker Houston, clinical psychologist with Nationwide Children's Hospital and the clinical director of the On Our Sleeves program. Tell us again uh, how folks can get involved in this uh, Million Classrooms project. Absolutely.
1: It's really easy. You go to onoursleeves.org slash million, and everything you need is right there. You can download things right from that website, or if you're wanting to nominate somebody else, you can put in a school or a teacher's name in there, and we'll send them something in the mail. Um, you can also donate because we, we worked it out that a dollar gets our stuff into one classroom. So for every dollar that we raise, we can get this information into one classroom across the country. And um, so we, we're looking for support in any way that people want to offer it.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Dr. Houston, uh, thanks so much for your time today, and good luck with this program. Well, thanks so much for
2: having me. Thanks for listening.
3: The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising
0: instead of smoking.
3: Getting support from friends online kept me on track. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key.
4: Instead of smoking after I ate, I'd get up and take a walk.
3: I missed having a cigarette in my hand, so I'd hold a
0: pen or a straw, anything.
4: Until I knew I wouldn't give in to temptation, I spent more time with my friends who didn't smoke.
3: I went to places that were smoke-free.
4: I didn't
5: stay quit the very first time I tried.
0: I kept on trying, and I learned something each time. Do whatever it takes, no matter how many times it takes.
3: I quit. I quit. I quit. We did it, so can you.
6: You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department
2: of Health and Human Services and CDC.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. Here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy.
7: President Biden marked his first 100 days in office with a joint address to Congress. You'll hear how Ohio lawmakers reacted. And our Verify team looks into some of the claims made that night. Ohio Democrats call for changes in police training. What they think needs to happen to cut down on the number of people shot and killed by police. And that comes as Columbus City Council appoints the first civilian review board. A look at who's going to be responsible for investigating issues with the Columbus Division of Police. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. President Biden has now been in office for more than 100 days. To mark the milestone, he addressed a joint session of Congress and laid out his plan for the nation. The president called for police reform after the conviction of Derek Chauvin. You'll, of course, know that he's the former Minneapolis police officer found guilty in the murder of George Floyd. President Biden urged Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. The president also urged Congress to reinstate a ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, citing the uptick in gun violence in our country. And President Biden also unveiled his American Families Plan, a $1.8 trillion proposal that expands education and family care.
0: American Families Plan will provide access to quality, affordable child care. We guarantee... When I'm proposing the legislation to guarantee that low-middle-income families will pay no more than 7% of their income for high-quality care for children up to the age of 5. The most hard-pressed working families won't have to spend a dime.
7: Ohio lawmakers didn't wait long to weigh in on the president's address. Republican Congressman Troy Balderson, who represents the 12th district, fired off a series of tweets criticizing the president's speech. Balderson says the proposed $15 minimum wage would be bad for Ohio's rural small businesses. On the other side, Congressman and Senate hopeful Tim Ryan supported the president's plan changes, saying the American Rescue Plan, American Jobs Plan and American Families Plan are bold steps forward. Democrat Congresswoman Joyce Beatty of the 3rd District, who's also the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, tweeted, the middle class built this country and unions built the middle class. I agree wholeheartedly, President Biden. Again, that's a tweet from Democratic Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. Democrat U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown commented after the president's speech, saying in President Biden's first 100 days, the administration took bold steps to help Ohioans recover from the pandemic. Now, Brown says we need to build on that success. Now, before the president's address, outgoing Representative Steve Stivers tweeted that he hoped President Biden would highlight ways to help people achieve their version of the American dream beyond the pandemic. And, of course, Steve Stivers representing the 15th Congressional District. Outgoing Senator Rob Portman also weighing in, and he took the Senate floor before the Biden address. Portman says he was not impressed with the president's first 100 days when it comes to bipartisanship.
0: He promised, remember his campaign, to reach out to Republicans and Democrats alike. He talked about the need for unity. In fact, he gave that same speech in the primary and in the general election, which I thought took some courage, frankly, to do so in the primary, because most of his opponents did not take that position. And yet now, having gotten elected,
7: he seems to have forgotten the pledges that he made. President Biden made several claims during his address, as did Senator Tim Scott in the Republican response. The Verify team looks into whether those claims check out. Here's Gabe Cohen. We're
6: fact-checking President Joe Biden's address and Senator Tim Scott's response. Our fact-checkers combed through the president's address and used vetted sources to check out some of those claims, like this one. Senior deaths from COVID-19 are down 80% since January. This claim is true. We analyzed CDC data of weekly COVID deaths, comparing the numbers from Biden's first full week in office with the most recent complete data sample on April 3rd. We found the death toll for people 65 and older is down almost 87 percent.
0: While this was all going on. The economy created more than 1,300,000 new jobs in 100 days. More jobs than first... more jobs in the first 100 days
6: than any president on record. This claim is true. We dug through monthly employment reports from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and found that in Biden's first 100 days, the economy created nearly 1.3 million jobs, just as he claimed. As for how it compares to other presidents, well, the data only dates back to 1994, but it shows that far more jobs were created under Biden than the first 100 days of Presidents Trump, Obama, and George W. Bush. It's important to note that U.S. lost more than 9 million jobs in 2020 after COVID hit. We also
2: dug through Senator Tim Scott's rebuttal. Just before COVID, we had the most inclusive economy in my lifetime. The lowest unemployment rates ever recorded for African-Americans, Hispanics and Asians and a 70 year low nearly for women.
6: This claim is true. Data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows for African Americans, the 24 months of lowest unemployment were between 2018 and 2020, right before COVID. For Hispanic Americans, the 10 lowest were in that same time frame, as were four of the five lowest for Asian Americans. And women saw two of their lowest unemployment months topped only by months in 1952 and 1953. So that lines up with Senator Scott's claim. With your Verify, I'm Gabe Cohen.
7: Do you have something you'd like us to verify? Let us know. Send us an email, verify at 10TV.com. Ohio House Democrats are calling for more transparency, more training, and more accountability from our state's police officers. The group says its goal is to reduce the number of police officer-involved shootings, including the one like the one that killed 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant in Columbus. Among the reforms they are calling for more de-escalation training. They want all body camera video released within 24 hours, and they're calling for a statewide database to track the employment of police officers. The hope is for so-called bad officers to be unable to jump from one police department to another. There is also an an ask for more anti-bias training and mental health training for police officers who are involved in the use of lethal force. Gross misconduct would never fly at your job, and it shouldn't for law enforcement and other public servants who are sworn to protect and serve you, the public at large. That's why we need change now.
5: These bills are about accountability and transparency, and they will save the lives of both community members as well as law enforcement.
3: The bills that we are talking about today will require a number of things. First, Officers will be required to exhaust all alternatives before resorting to deadly force.
7: 10TV reached out to the Ohio Association of Chiefs of Police about this proposal. The President and Chief William Balling told us many departments across the state already provide de-escalation and mental health training. Balling says they are asking for more funding to provide more training. Nearly one year after protests broke out in Columbus over George Floyd's death, change is on the way. City Council approved the members of the new Civilian Review Board, which will investigate allegations of misconduct and use of force incidents involving police officers. It's something that's been in the works for months and came with its share of controversy. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio explains.
5: What was supposed to be nine members is now 11. Two more nominees were added to the Civilian Review Board at Monday night's City Council meeting. Aaron Thomas works for OSU College of Medicine and was the only LGBTQ nominee. And Brooke Burns, the Chief Counsel for the Juvenile Department at the Office of the Ohio Public Defender. All 11 members were appointed, but Kyle Strickland's appointment was the only one not unanimous.
0: I am voting No
6: on his appointment.
5: Strickland is an attorney with the Kerwin Institute for the study of race and ethnicity at the Ohio State University. Strickland is also the deputy director of race and democracy for the nonprofit think tank, the Roosevelt Institute. Last week, he posted this on Facebook about the death of 16 year old Micaiah Bryant. She was shot and killed by a Columbus police officer. Strickland said you didn't need to wait for all the facts in the shooting of Bryant. Some council members spoke in support. Support of Strickland. People are rightly so passionate about what's happening in our community.
7: And I think that the way to create trust is to lean into allowing people to speak their truths and have their passions.
5: Other council members saying personal thoughts should stay personal.
6: Impartiality and objectivity is absolutely unequivocally imperative. And if you talk about a case before, or convey your feelings before you are actually put in a position to do that, that, in my opinion, excludes you.
5: The final vote for Strickland's approval was five in favor, two against. Council members Priscilla Tyson and Mitchell Brown voted no. At City Hall, Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News.
7: Strickland posted on Facebook after the vote saying he is committed to serving with integrity, speaking hard truths, and declaring Black Lives Matter in society. The city of Columbus is asking for the Department of Justice to review the Columbus Division of Police. This request comes after the DOJ's decision to review the Louisville Metro Police Department and Minneapolis Police Department after deadly police shootings there. 10TV's Richard Solomon
8: looks at what the city is hoping to accomplish. City and state leaders have been reacting to the mayor and city attorney calling on the DOJ to review Columbus policing. And they say in this letter that the review will help identify any racial bias that might lie within the police department. Mayor Gither and the city attorney wrote in the letter, quote, We need to change the culture of the Columbus Division of Police. As a part of the review, both the mayor and the city attorney are asking for the evaluation and findings of any deficiencies in racial disparities within the division. They say this review will also offer solutions to reform. 10TV also received a statement from the Fraternal Order of Police. They say, in part, quote, Officers are relentlessly condemned and demonized, even when the officers' actions are consistent with their training and the law. Further saying, Columbus is directly seeing the impact of this rhetoric, later mentioning how the city is on pace to break the city's homicide record, which was set last year. I did reach out to Columbus police to see if they had a comment that they would like to make regarding this review. And I was told that no comments will be made at this time. For now, reporting downtown, 10TV's Richard Solomon, back to you.
7: Both Mayor Ginther and City Attorney Zach Klein are asking for a decision within 30 days. The pandemic health orders for Ohio changed a bit. We'll take a look at what this change means for fully vaccinated people and where we stand when it comes to COVID-19 cases per 100,000.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors.
5: There's a place to share the joy of your team winning it all and a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's a place to share photos of pets or singing in the choir or the time you ate a pepper and your mouth was on fire. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Ask about your company's emotional health benefits. Visit part.org/ sharing. Brought to you by the American Heart Association.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
7: A bit of positive news in Franklin County. The county is no longer in purple on the state's COVID-19 advisory map. Remember, purple or level four is the highest risk level on the map. Franklin County back in the red or level three. And of course, that still means very high exposure and spread. All of this coming as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention relax guidance on mask wearing, specifically when you're outside. The CDC has broken it down by activity. In most cases, you're good to go without a mask, especially if you are fully vaccinated. But busy, crowded events like outdoor performances and parades remain risky. While Ohio's mask order remains in effect, Governor Mike DeWine did make a change to current health orders. Fully vaccinated people will no longer have to quarantine if they are exposed to someone who tests positive. The governor says this change applies to both adults and children. The change does not apply to nursing homes or long-term care facilities because they are governed by CDC guidelines. An increasing number of people are neglecting to get their second COVID-19 vaccine shot. The CDC believes that accounts for about 8% of people. And according to the Pickaway County Health Commissioner, some people say they're concerned about side effects from that second shot, but he wants to stress those side effects go away quickly. And he wants to remind people that without that second shot, you won't really get the benefits of being fully vaccinated against COVID-19.
6: We know there's some protection after the first dose because your body's beginning to react um, to the vaccine. Um, We don't know how much and we don't know how long it lasts.
7: If you did miss your second appointment, you have a couple of weeks to get that second dose to avoid starting the entire process over. Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan is setting his sights on the U.S. Senate. We talk one-on-one with him about his decision to run for Senator Rob Portman's seat.
1: Before I was adopted, I felt like nobody wanted me. I felt like my life
5: was already over.
8: At a certain age, they don't want you. You're troubled and stuff. Even if I wanted to be adopted, who would adopt a 17-year-old?
5: Inside, I knew, like, I'm not a troubled kid. I know what I'm in for, why I'm here.
8: My biggest fear was that I would age out and not know how to be sufficient on my own.
5: I had nightmares every single day at my birth mom's house. It was just really scary for me living there.
4: I was scared, I was lost, and I felt hopeless.
5: I felt like, don't I deserve to feel happy and loved?
2: I just wish I'd gotten
8: adopted sooner.
5: Unfortunately, the number of children waiting to be adopted
2: from foster care is on the rise. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is the only public nonprofit charity in the US focused exclusively on foster care adoption. You can help. Go to davethomasfoundation.org to learn more.
6: 145 over 92, 180 over
5: 111, 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest.
1: And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life.
9: A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke.
6: My memory is shot. When I woke up,
9: I couldn't speak.
0: Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life,
9: but I'm going to make it better. I'll come back to ask your doctor, check your blood pressure.
3: Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Coming up in about 10 minutes, the director of tourism in Ohio talks about the upcoming tourism season. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
7: Neighbors in Union County say they are tired of having their intersections blocked by trains headed to the Honda plant. The trains are operated by CSX and they sometimes block those intersections for an hour or more. So when people call 911 for help, the response time is delayed. Kevin Landers explains it's now in the hands of the Ohio Supreme Court. That's,
2: That's right, There's another three hours. This Union County homeowner who asked we not use his name says he took these photos over the past year to show how many times CSX Railroad has blocked the intersections near his home.
0: It's a big inconvenience when you live 10 minutes from town and It takes you a half hour to get there sometime or longer.
2: His real concern, he says, came when he called 911 for his wife at 20 minutes to 7. It was five minutes after 8 when the squad took my wife out of the driveway. He says the train is to blame. And it's pretty frustrating. And I've said this time and time again,
0: somebody's going to get killed because of that train down there. Or die of a heart attack and nobody can get to them. And that's basically summed it up.
2: The local fire chief says that with every train delay, response times increase and chances to say lives is reduced. Five to seven minutes is the difference if someone is brain dead or alive. Between May and November of 2018, the Union County Sheriff's Office issued five citations against CSX Transportation for violating state law that prohibits a railroad company from obstructing a public road for longer than five minutes, except when a train is continuously moving or when issues are out of its control. The Ohio Supreme Court heard from both sides.
5: Those are their only pathways to get across for emergency vehicles. So local communities are just at the whim of you and profit.
2: Your Honor, that's certainly not true. CSX says it warns the sheriff when the train may block an intersection. We proactively coordinate with the sheriff's department so they know our general operations. When it becomes clear to us that a, block a planned blockage is going to last longer than anticipated. The sheriff's
3: response? No, not recently. We have to learn through frustrated residents that uh, live in this area or uh, a fire department.
2: As attorneys battle in the courtroom, those who live here just want a resolution. They say the trains that stop here, sometimes for hours on end, are a safety issue. we got a high level of frustration. And it happens every week. Near Marysville, Kevin Landers, 10TV News.
7: Since 2019, the Union County Sheriff says he's filed nearly 200 complaints against CSX to the Federal Railroad Administration. He says he's never received a reply. The state of Ohio is losing one of its U.S. House districts. That's thanks to new numbers from the U.S. Census. Ohio's population from the 2020 census determined how many seats in Congress and electoral votes Ohio will have for the next 10 years. Once the numbers are official, states across the country will start to draw new boundaries. As Ohio loses a congressional seat, there will be a special election to fill Ohio's 15th congressional seat after Republican Steve Stivers says he's stepping down. Candidates must declare by May 17th, and then the primary election will be August 3rd. But the special election will be held on Election Day, which, mark your calendars, is November 2nd. And now to the Senate. The battle for Ohio Senator Rob Portman's seat just got a little more competitive. The first Democrat officially threw his hat into the ring. Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan of Youngstown announced that he's running for U.S. Senate. He told us a little bit about his decision to move from the House to the Senate.
3: Well, Ohioans are working harder than they've ever worked before. Uh, They're doing everything right, and they still can't get ahead. We've got a a lot of work to do uh, to cut these workers in on the deal, and that's what I've spent my career doing, and that's what I'm going to continue to do in the United States Senate.
2: What is your platform? What are you running on?
3: Well, we're going to focus, I think, focusing on what those workers are going through every day. What are the issues that they face? that allow them, you know, to to live in a a world where there's so much suffering for them and for their families. And that means we've got to make the big investments uh, that are going to allow them to get ahead. When you look at what these foreign countries are doing, they're putting tons of money into education and health. Uh, technology public infrastructure to take jobs away uh, from american workers and we need a senator who knows we've got to make those investments we've got to work with business owners to help them uh, compete to you know to grow their companies to create jobs and the investments into the public infrastructure our kids schools affordable health care broadband and most importantly i think Really revitalizing manufacturing in the United States. So we're making things in Ohio again. And you need a senator who's going to fight like hell to cut these workers in on the deal. They just haven't been able to get
7: ahead. While Tim Ryan is the only Democrat in the race so far, four Republicans have already announced their plans to run. Former Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel, former Ohio Republican Party Chair Jane Timken, and Cleveland businessman Bernie Moreno, and also Mike Gibbons, also a businessman. They're among the Republicans who have already entered the race. Governor Mike DeWine signed two bills into law. Senate Bill 2 will require competency evaluations and mental health treatment in criminal cases. It's also going to allow Ohio to participate in telepsychology and conduct temporary in-person face-to-face practice of psychology across the state boundaries legally.
5: One of the reasons I even saw A seat in the Ohio legislature was to improve access to mental health services. Senate Bill 2 will
2: help ensure that the beds in our six regional psychiatric hospitals are available to those Ohioans with the most critical need, as you said. And it provides flexibility in our legal system to allow Ohioans who are charged with nonviolent misdemeanors to be restored to competency in our outpatient community settings rather than in an institution.
7: DeWine also signed Senate Bill 57. This law authorized a property tax exemption for homes used by people suffering from a mental disability or substance abuse disorder. This bill specifically continues that safety net that's available to people with permanent supportive housing. These are the people who are struggling with addiction, who are struggling with mental health issues, and and it houses them in the in the least restrictive place, in the place where they can most interact with the community, get the services they need, and uh, be a, a part of our communities. Governor DeWine says he's very happy with the work done on these two new laws. Transgender people in Ohio are able to change the gender on their birth certificates. After four transgender people filed a lawsuit, the court found that banning that change unconstitutional. So, the Ohio Department of Health is working on a process that will allow people to request the change. They expect it to be ready by June. We do thank you all for being here with us today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State, A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
7: How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of
3: problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging
7: about wins, or just plain irritability. Sounds familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit BeforeYouBet.org to learn more and take the Responsible Gambling Quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer may be yes.
5: Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated
7: and it can last a lifetime. Up to 75% of children and adolescents with ADHD have at least one additional mental disorder that requires a comprehensive
5: approach to treatment. Learn more at moretoadhd.com. This message brought to you in
7: partnership with Ada, ACO, and Chad.
9: I'm Major League shortstop, Deirdre Gores. While I might not play for your favorite baseball team, when it comes to fighting treatments for COVID-19, we're all on the same team. One important treatment that you may not know about is antibody-rich plasma. Being tested locally in a critical trial organized by John Hopkins University at COVIDPlasmaTrial.org. My favorite part of baseball season is getting to meet the fans and hear the roar of the crowd at COVIDPlasmaTrial.org. You can show that this 100-year-old treatment option is safe and effective against COVID-19. It could be the key to getting us back to normal. And for those like me who have chronic conditions, it could be life-saving. If you have recently been exposed to or diagnosed with COVID-19, step up to the plate and go to COVIDPlasmaTrial.org to enroll, COVIDPlasmaTrial.org. Let's knock it out of the park.
7: Did you know that every year, public school teachers spend nearly $500 of their own money for student supplies? At DonorsChoose, we want students and teachers to have the tools they need for a great education. And now, more than ever, they need your help. Go to DonorsChoose.org and choose from teachers' requests that support reading, math, science, music, and more. Learn more at DonorsChoose.org. Donors choose Support a classroom. Build a future.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James. Joining me on the phone is Matt McLaren, who is the director of Ohio Find It Here. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. How are you
0: doing? Good. Uh, what is Ohio Find It Here? We are the
4: state's tourism division, and we're excited because this week is National Travel and Tourism Week. It's the week we encourage every Ohioan to plan their Ohio trip.
0: And the other day, the governor and first lady went on a kind of a tour across Ohio as part of Ohio Tourism Day did and you know it's also exciting this week is for the first time in over
4: a year we are actively encouraging people to travel into ohio again we're marketing uh, all across ohio and the states around us for visits and the governor was encouraging that travel on his trip
0: as well made stops in Findlay, toledo and cleveland i'm kind of biased maybe because i grew up in northern ohio but there's just some spectacular places around northern ohio for tourism
4: I actually grew up in Akron, Ohio, live in Columbus now, uh, but enjoy doing things all across the state. Uh, I'll tell you what, the northern part of our state is off to a good start. Cleveland just hosted the NFL draft and had a great – few days with that some other major events we have coming up this year in the north part of the state Uh, the pro football hall of fame inductions in canton happen in august and then the solheim cup is returning to the united states it's only here every four years and it's coming to toledo ohio and that's the last week in august first week in
0: september but you know i can hear already folks in southeast ohio saying not so fast (laughs) because they've got some pretty spectacular areas too they really do. You know, one of the things we're promoting this year is road trips.
4: And all the research we see, people want to travel again, but they want to start with that first trip by car. And Ohio is going to benefit from that so much uh, because we aren't easy to drive to state. We're spent a day's drive at 60% of the United States. And one thing that Southeast Ohio, and really the whole state, has incredible state parks, 75 free state parks. Uh, when you look at the Southeast portion, you have things like the uh, Jesse Owens, the newer, one of the newer state parks, Jesse Owens State Park, uh, over by the Wilds in the Southeast portion uh, Hockey Hills is always wonderful and Lake Hope is one of my family's favorite.
0: Me too I, Lake Hope is uh, is tremendous and the history there is really amazing too.
4: Well, I'm glad you've been to that one. We actually have a scenic route road trip you can find at Ohio.org. It has 14 suggested stops across the state of Ohio, including Lake Hope. Uh, hopefully we can put some other ones on your list, Dave, including the Clifton Gorge and more that you'll find on that scenic route road trip
0: at Ohio.org. It's outstanding. And, and just uh, to offer a little more to that hint, Lake Hope itself is over top of a flooded town. Go there or look it up online to find out more about it. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, The state, though, you have a budget this year to actually advertise Ohio tourism outside of Ohio again, right?
4: We do. Our new Ohio Find It Here regional marketing campaign is a $4 million campaign uh, focused on all the states that border Ohio, encouraging visitors to drive in and do weekend trips, uh, enjoy the uh, great events that we have, such as the Solheim Cup, pro football hall of fame inductions rock and roll hall of fame inductions and more that are happening this year and really our, our retail restaurants lodging and attractions all had such a tough year in 2020 uh, but they've learned to operate safely and we're excited that uh, we're, we can have a good spring summer travel season for
0: ohio again you have a new coaster at king's island and cedar point is finally getting around to being able to celebrate its 150th anniversary
4: They do, and Kings Island is opening this weekend, and we have Cedar Point opening up next weekend. That's what's such a fun thing about this time of year, to see the tourism attractions across the state open, and and people, uh, everything that we see, the research that we see is that people want to travel again. Uh, 88% of people say they plan to travel in the next six months, with many of those in the next month to two, and we certainly have the attractions here in Ohio and the big events to bring them to our state.
0: Do you think that as people do begin to travel more, that they may be more likely to spend more than they have in past trips just because of the circumstances?
4: We hope so. Uh, we know that with the, the travel, um, they're preferring road trips. They're, they're looking at place destinations that they can get to by car. Uh, but then they are also looking for overnights to stay a few days. Uh certainly something we want in the state. With our 10 perfect road trips at Ohio.org, uh, we provide things like the Rock and Ride Road Trip, where we suggest they not only go spend a few days at Cedar Point, but they also make that trip over to Cleveland for the Rock Hall part of it, and then come down to Columbus for the National Veterans Museum, and so much more. Uh, we wanted to spend several days in the state of Ohio.
0: You know, I kind of uh, led you on to talk about northern and southeastern Ohio. What about central and southwestern Ohio?
4: And we're excited about central and southwest Ohio. Really, the whole state has a lot to offer this year. Uh, one of our main road trips, the art road trip, has a lot of stops that you'll find, including the Columbus Museum of Art, a lot of Central Ohio and, and uh, South stops that you'll find, uh, the Dayton Art Institute's on it. And then there's some, you know, those are the type of things that people think about when they think of art, but there's some that you don't wouldn't necessarily think about, like the Portsmouth Floodwall Murals. Now, this is another one that I enjoy seeing, my family and I enjoy going down to. Uh, there's almost a mile length of flood wall that the, has these huge canvases painted on it uh, in Portsmouth, Ohio. It's something that really is worth taking in. Each of the blocks uh, represent a different time in Portsmouth's history and different things that happened in the state of Ohio. and there's just some incredible paintings that are part of that 12-stop art road trip we've launched this year. You
0: know, It would be kind of fun if, if people are maybe wanting to spend a little more time around Ohio than they have in the past, to kind of divide it into different categories like sports, history, arts. Uh, I mean, there's just so much to explore just on the history aspect. I mean, trips to to Marietta or Portsmouth, for folks who haven't been there in a long time, that's pretty amazing stuff, just really fun.
4: Well, and and there is. We try to create a road trip that fits for everyone's interest but then the crossover too one of my favorite murals in Portsmouth is actually about the Portsmouth Spartans when they won the national championship many years ago for pro football beating the Green Bay Packers that's Uh, that's something that you uh part
0: part of their history that you'll find on one of those giant murals on the Portsmouth flood wall it's a perfect example and and you know the riverboat history all that stuff along the Ohio River it's just fabulous stuff
4: yeah, and the Ohio River, the views from Marriott are incredible. You can see riverboats, uh, but also some of the sunrises, sunsets, as you look up and down the river are just beautiful as well. And then that town, it has a great walkable area where you'll find local retailers, local restaurants, uh, it's certainly worth going down in the Lafayette Hotel so you can spend a few nights.
0: Talking with Matt McLaren, he's the director of Ohio Find It Here. Uh, what other aspects do you want to push about this uh, coming tourism season?
4: Yeah, well, Dave, as we're talking about so many things, it reminds me that you can find over a thousand things to do at Ohio.org. In Ohio, you can find it here.
0: Matt McLaren again. He's the director of Ohio Find It Here. Hope it's a a good comeback year, Matt.
4: I I have a feeling it's going to be, and we encourage all your viewers to go to Ohio.org and plan their trip.
0: Thanks for your time today. Thank you.